Psalm 46, verse 1. I hear Bible still turning. I'll, I'll pause a little longer. Psalm 46, 1. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. The nations rage. The kingdoms totter. He utters his voice. The earth melts. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Come, behold the works of the Lord, how he has brought desolations on the earth. He makes war cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. The word of the Lord. So as we approach the Psalms, we must be mindful that the Psalms are not merely a prayer, uh, you know, prayers for our own personal prayer life. The Psalms were a compilation of songs that for ancient Israel, as well as for us, to sing, to contemplate together as the people of God. And so they're meant to help us as the people of God to shape our thoughts about God, to guide us. So on one hand, the Psalms are incredibly deep. On the other hand, they really do help us to express our hearts to the Lord. They're not just touchy-feely, they're deep. But there's a sense with the Psalms, every emotion is expressed. And so they allow us to come before the Lord and cry out to Him. So a great question with any Psalm that we take up is, why this particular Psalm? Why did God see fit to give us Psalm 46? So regarding the circumstances around this psalm, I'll just say briefly what we know, what we don't know, and what we know. What we know is written by the the sons of Korah. They wrote roughly 11, uh, 11 of our psalms are attributed to them. What we don't know is the exact circumstances behind this psalm. It is evident that the people of God are experiencing intense trouble. It is to the point where some of the imagery is that of an earthquake, mountains being cast into the sea, right? nations roaring. So there is a circumstance, uh, and most think that it's probably a foreign army that has come against the people of God. But we don't know the exact circumstance. But here's what we do know, what we share in a similar way to the original audience here is that we experience and we live in a fallen world. That sin affects us deeply, our own sin and the sin of others against us. We know that life under heaven is very unstable. We go through a crisis and it feels like complete chaos. So we fear at times. And behind our fears lie some deeper questions. Is life going to fall apart? Is God really with me? Will he really see me through? Will he see us through? Is this situation really going to work out for our best? 
So these experiences of fear were true for God's people back then. It's true for us now, and it's true in our own personal lives. And so we need this psalm because we have to be reminded constantly that verse 1 is true. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear. We have to recognize and be reminded that verses 7 and 11, the heart of this psalm, is true. That the Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. So this is a psalm of confidence for God's people. That no matter what comes our way, we can be confident that God is with us. So the hymn, A Mighty Fortress is Our God, written by Martin Luther, was actually inspired by Psalm 46. Sources say this was his favorite psalm. And in fact, at various times during the Protestant Reformation, as, as Martin Luther was feeling incredibly discouraged, even to the point of depression, he would turn to his good friend and co-worker, Philip Melanchthon, and he would say, Come, Philip, let's sing the 46th Psalm. And the psalm that they would sing, we know as, A Mighty Fortress is Our God. And to the question of, why do we need, as the people of God, why do we need this psalm? In Martin Luther's words, as I quote, We sing this psalm to the praise of God because God is with us powerfully and miraculously, preserves and defends His church and His word against all fanatical spirits, against the gates of hell, against the implacable hatred of the devil, and against all the assaults of the world, the flesh, and sin. So, if this psalm was good enough to get Martin Luther through the Reformation, it's probably good enough to get us through whatever we face at times. So, Psalm 46, verse 1. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. This idea, this concept of refuge, it's where we can go, where we flee when we face any kind of troubles. He is our strength. God is more than powerful enough to handle any circumstances that come our way. He is a very present, or some translations could could say he is well-proved. Both are accurate about the Lord. He is very present or well-proved help in trouble. See, the, the God of the Scriptures is not some distant deity He is a God that has a proven track record of drawing near to his people when they call on his name. And we have to be reminded of this. Moses, in Deuteronomy, reminded the people of God of this very reality. In Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 7, Moses is reminding the people of God of God's faithfulness. He says, for what great nation is there that has a God so near to it as the Lord our God is to us whenever we call upon him? Moses would have been quite familiar with the false gods, the pagan gods of that day who were distant. And God is saying, or Moses is saying, no, no, our our God is vastly different. We serve a God who powerfully draws near to us whenever we call upon his name. He is the one true God, ever-present in our troubles, eager to help. Because of this, therefore, verse 2, Therefore we will not fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. 
Some have suggested that what the psalmist has in mind here is some natural disaster that comes upon the people of God and threatens, um, and, and threatens their existence. But more likely, the imagery here of earthquakes and of a raging sea is that of a raging nation, a foreign enemy. And verse 6 speaks of that. Verse 6 says, The nations rage, the kingdoms totter. He utters his voice and the earth melts. So most likely, this is, uh, the circumstance is this foreign enemy coming against the people of God. And this imagery of earthquakes and a roaring sea is a return to chaos. If we think about it, back to Genesis chapter 1, verses 1 and 2, God brought order out of the chaos. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. So God created the world out of chaos and imposed order on it, given the water its boundaries. Now think about the flood. The flood was chaotic. God removed those boundaries. And what the psalmist is writing about, this, this experience is more like the chaos of a flood coming against God's people. The world seems to be falling apart. But the psalmist is clear. We will not fear because God is our refuge, our strength. He's our very present help. How can the psalmist be so confident? Well, the people of God would have to think back. And the thing that they would think back to where God was incredibly decisive and faithful and strong, a refuge, a present help, would have been his deliverance of the Israelites out of the chaos of the Red Sea. Okay, it's where the uh, God overthrew the Egyptians by parting the Red Sea. And in fact, um, verse 5 makes reference to most likely um, back to the Red Sea in, in, in chapter 14 of Exodus. So verse 5 says, God will help when morning dawns. That same language is used of Exodus 14 verse 27 So Moses stretched his hand over the sea, and the sea returned to its normal course when the morning appeared. And as the Egyptians fled into it, the Lord threw the Egyptians into the midst of the sea. So most likely this is a reference. The psalmist is saying, hey, do you remember the morning of the Red Sea? This situation that feels so chaotic right now is like that. In the same way God delivered his people then, God will deliver us now. God is our help. He will deliver when the time is right. And the point of this is that God's people do not have to fear no matter what circumstances come our way. And you know these circumstances, right? It's these circumstances where we either say or we pray, this is too much to bear. This is too much. It's too scary. This is too overwhelming. It's in those moments, and they could be financial, it could be health, could be relational strife that we experience, and we think, it's just, it's too much for me to bear. Um, it's in those moments that we have to ask the question, who, who is our God? Who do we serve? While I was in seminary, our counseling professor was constantly 
um, talking to us about the need for us in the midst of a crisis, when we are dealing with people, counseling with people who are having a crisis, the need for us to have what he called a non-anxious presence. In the midst of their crisis, as they're so anxious, we are to come alongside and have a non-anxious presence. Well, our ability to have a non-anxious presence, if it's our own crisis or someone else, has everything to do with our perspective and our confidence in the Lord. Is he a refuge? Is he a strength? Is he a very present help? So these verses 1 through 3 speak to the fact that we can have confidence no matter what circumstances because God is with us. And then in verses 4 through 7, in a sense we could say this, these verses speak to the secret behind our confidence. And when I say secret, I mean maybe something that the world doesn't fully grasp, but as Christians we must take to heart. And the secret is in some imagery here. In the very beginning of the psalm, there is this chaos of a roaring sea. And in contrast to that, verse 4 says this, There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God. There's this river that streams make glad the city of God. And the psalmist invites us to consider the significance of this river and the city of God. So when the psalmist refers to the city of God, one point of reference for that would be the earthly Jerusalem. This was the place where God dwelled with his people. It's where the temple was established. Earthly Jerusalem represented the kingdom of God on the earth as God was present with his people. But the scriptures, as it talks about the city of God, this theme becomes bigger throughout the scriptures. One point of reference is earthly Jerusalem, but another point of reference of this city of God is the heavenly city of Zion. It's Jerusalem was the earthly version, but there's a heavenly version as well. It's God's eternal dwelling. It's where the people of God, all the people of God, will be eternally secure. And at the center of Zion is the Lord, the divine warrior king, who has secured peace and security for his people. And we see this in verse, uh, or in, um, Psalm 48, verses 1 through 3. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised in the city of our God. His holy mountain, beautiful in elevation, is the joy of all the earth. Mount Zion in the far north, the city of the great king. Within her citadels, God has made himself known as a fortress. It's this beautiful picture of this city of Zion. Hebrews 11 spoke of this. It says, Abraham was looking for, longed for this city whose builder and designer is God. And that God has prepared this city in a better country for his people. And then Revelation chapter 21. If you will, turn to Revelation 21. And keep your finger here. We'll come back to... Uh, to 21 and to 22 at another point. Revelation 21 also speaks of this glorious city. Verse 1, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride and adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. 
He will dwell with him and they will he will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. This image here is this beautiful imagery of the holy city, the new Jerusalem coming down secure with the people of God. And think about the contrast here in this psalm. In verse 2, the mountains are moved into the heart of the sea. But verse 5 of Psalm 46 says, this city will not be moved. This city is completely secure. And in fact, verse 6 of Psalm 46 speaks to the fact that the nations rage, the kingdom totters, but the Lord utters his voice and the earth melts. That is power. That is security for God's people. And do you know what this city will be filled with besides Jesus? This city will be filled with a non-anxious presence. There will be nothing in this city to fear or to be anxious about. There will be no crying, no pain, no death, no suffering. Only the very glory of God. So this is a glorious city. But there's also this glorious river that feeds the city of God. Again, two reference points. In Jerusalem, there was this stream known as the stream of Siloam. And actually, Isaiah 8.6 refers to it as a gently flowing river. But there's another point of reference of this river that flows throughout Scripture. And it gets much larger. This river that we see is symbolic for God's presence among his people everywhere. It is a river of grace and mercy and peace. And the prophets spoke of this river. They spoke of this river that would come through the Messiah as a blessing to his people. The prophet Ezekiel, in chapter 47, speaks of the river that originates only as a trickle. It begins at the throne of God as a trickle. But this river continues to increase to where it is a mighty river that cannot be stopped. And then in Zechariah, the prophet Zechariah, chapter 14, 8, says, A day is coming, it's the day of the Lord, when living water shall flow. And spoiler alert, We know that that living water is all about Jesus. And I'll get to that in a moment. But then Revelation 22. Revelation 22 verses 1 and 2 speak again about this river. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and the Lamb through the middle of the streets, or through the middle of the street of the city. Also on either side of this river, the tree of life, with its 12 kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. So we we get another catch of this river, this glorious river that flows throughout Scripture to the very last chapter of the Bible, Revelation 22. And it, it echoes back to the Garden of Eden, This river before sin entered into the world. But then we see this river increase throughout the scriptures. It's a river of grace. It's mercy. It's God's peace. And we can taste this river now in the present age. But its fullness will be experienced in the new heavens and the new earth. And so Psalm 46 
gives us this picture of this river and this city, and we need it as the people of God. We need to recognize that he's faithfully, he's with us now, but also he is securing this place. And there's this glorious river that feeds the city of God. This helps us through whatever struggles, trials may be facing us. In verses 7 and 11, I mentioned earlier that this is the heart, um, it's the heart of the psalm. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Okay, this phrase, the Lord of hosts. Hosts could refer to the armies of Israel, or it could be referring to the angelic armies of God. And both are true. And there's this great picture referring to the angelic armies of the Lord. There's this great picture. In 2 Kings chapter 6, of it's Elisha and his servant. So the context is, the king of Syria was warring against the Israelites. But God kept revealing to Elisha, who was a prophet for Israel, the king of Syria's plans. Every time the king thinks something, the Lord reveals it to Elisha. Elisha lets the Israelites know, and king of Assyria continues to be thwarted. Well, he gets really frustrated, decides he's going to go find Elisha and deal with him. And so, sure enough, the king of Assyria, Assyria? Let's go with Syria. The king of Syria finds Elisha and uh, surrounds him and his servant at night with, uh, the scriptures say, uh, an army and chariots. So the servant of the Lord wakes up in the morning. He looks out and he sees this vast army surrounding them. And his word is, alas, his word, not mine. I don't talk that way. Alas, what shall we do? Elisha's response Do not be afraid, for those who are with us are more than those who are with them. Okay, so the servant, Elisha's servant, is probably not only fearful, but really confused. Right? And then Elisha prays, O Lord, please open his eyes that he may see. So the Lord opened the eyes of the young man and saw, and behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around the Syrians. To summarize the end of the story, God won. Okay, but it's a powerful picture of us for us that when the scriptures say um, that the Lord of hosts is with us, that means something really significant. We have pictures in the scripture of what it looks like for the Lord of hosts to be with us. It's a powerful picture. It means something. And then this goes on. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. The God of Jacob. Why Jacob? Well, we know that Jacob was the third of three patriarchs. Jacob was a bit of a schemer, right? Recall his relationship with Esau. Jacob was the one that if you had a group of friends, your mom would say, I'm not sure I want you hanging out with that Jacob kid. And please, whatever you do, do not make any trades or bets with him without letting me know first. That's Jacob. But this really isn't about Jacob. It's about the faithfulness of God. Because God bound himself to his people in a covenant. If you look back, think back to Genesis chapter 12. God makes a covenant with Abraham that God would bless Abraham, that he would make him a great nation. And through that great nation, they were to be a blessing to the world as they put on display the glory of God. And that same covenant that God made with Abraham, that was extended to Abraham's son, Isaac, and then extended from Isaac's son, 
to Jacob. And that same promise that God gave to, I, or to, to Jacob, that I will bless you, I will make you as numerous as the dust on the earth, and you shall be a blessing to the nations. And God confirms this covenant to Jacob and adds, Behold, I am with you and will not leave you. As God was faithful to Abraham, Isaac, and to Jacob, the psalmist is saying, God will be faithful to his people. He will be faithful to us. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Let's just think about a fortress. Fortress is a stronghold, typically in an elevated position, and they uh, provide protection against an enemy. So when I was about 10, I made a fortress. It was a tree fortress. Me, along with my brother Colin, two years older, we, um, we built this fortress out of basically a three-by-three three piece of plywood that we put about uh, eight feet off the ground. So not very tall, three-by-three three platform with a little two-by-four for a backrest. So really, when we both went up into our little tree fort, uh, only one of us could sit. The other one would have to hang it out on a branch. Okay, so uh, it was... It was not the most spectacular fort, but we had a brilliant addition to it. We dug this pit right in front of the tree. It was about a two by two, you know, two feet deep pit that we covered over with leaves. And that was to slow down the marching enemy, which would have been our oldest brothers, Sean and Kelly, uh, or our younger sister if she was attempting a coup. Anyway, um, so we had this glorious plan in, uh, of of this fort that would keep us secure, keep us safe. Well, one day we were inside. I don't remember what exactly Colin and I did to get in trouble um, or antagonize our brothers, but we ran outside to our tree fort as quick as we could, climbed up in. And out marching comes the queen, mom. And she's coming right for us. And there's a look of, you know, anger on her face. And then she steps in the pit. And then the look of anger came a look of much more anger at that point. And uh, needless to say, that was the end of our fortress. Fortress was torn down after that day. Okay, I share that. Silly story, but to illustrate this. We don't just build fortresses as kids, do we? As adults, we build fortresses. Fortresses are a place that we look to for our security, and they're places that we seek to elevate ourselves above others, right? Fortresses take on a lot of different shapes. It's a fortress of money, whether presently can I have enough money or saving up for the most comfortable retirement. It's, it's security of money. It's the security of certain relationships, friendships or um, family members that we place our our hope, our security, our trust really there. It can be our health, it can be our looks, it can be our talents and our abilities. It can be any advantage that we seek to use that we elevate ourselves above others, right? Our fortresses take on a lot of different purposes. They seek to keep us safe. That's the idea behind a fortress in many ways of how do we fortify ourselves in a, in a fallen world? How do we keep ourselves secure? But here's the truth. Thankfully, God is our fortress. God is our fortress. The problem with our fortresses, they're weak, they're insufficient, 
and they can be stripped away at any time. But God is our fortress. Our confidence must be in him and him alone. And, and speaking of our confidence in him, at the very end of this psalm, verses 8 through 11, we see that our confidence really rests in the fulfillment of this psalm, namely, Jesus Christ. He is the personification of this psalm. With that, notice that in verses 8 through, nine, or 8 through 11, let me read. Come, behold the works of the Lord, how he has brought desolations on the earth. He makes war cease to the end of the earth. He broke, breaks the bow, shatters the spear, he burns the chariots with fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us and the God of Jacob is our fortress. In this section, we have two imperatives. In verse 8, come, behold the works of the Lord. And the second one in verse 10, be still and know that I am God. So we are summoned to know the works of the Lord. And by works of the Lord, this would be God's acts of divine deliverance where he rescues his people. We see this everywhere from the Exodus all the way to the restoration from exile of his people. But that's just a foretaste of God's deliverance, of how he will bring peace and overthrow all evil and establish a kingdom of peace. And we see the promise of this peace in verse 9, how he makes wars to cease till the end of the earth. But that's followed by another imperative. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted. And we see that exaltation of God clearly in the person and work of Christ. Christ is the fulfillment of this psalm. Jesus is the ultimate manifestation of the presence of God with us. He, if, if we had a Cliff Notes version of this, I, I don't know if you recall Cliff Notes. Basically, it's what got me through school. I probably should have named one of my boys Cliff after Cliff Notes. But anyway, Cliff Notes, it's the truncated version. God is with us. He's with us, and we see it so clearly in the incarnation of Christ, that God took on flesh, dwelt among us. He proved his commitment to be with us in his perfect life for us, his death for us. And the fact that he said, Matthew 28, I will be with you always till the end of the age. Jesus is with us. Jesus is our fortress. Recall, fortress oftentimes is an elevated position, defends against enemies, and that is Jesus. After his death, he rose. He ascended to the right hand of the Father. Psalm 4610 said that God will be exalted. Jesus is, was, is, will be forever exalted, rules and reigns at the right hand of God. And from this exalted right hand of God... Hebrews 7.25 tells us that Jesus is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him since he always lives to make intercession. So we have this wonderful picture of God exalted, or Jesus exalted, right hand of the Father. And he defends us. And he brings our prayers before our Heavenly Father. That is Jesus as our fortress. And Jesus is the river of living water. Psalm 46.4 says, There's a river whose streams make glad 
the city of God. And if I can paraphrase, Jesus is the river of living water whose streams make glad the people of God. In John 7, Jesus' words, verses 37 through 39, Jesus says, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scriptures have said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. So Jesus is this river. Come to me and drink. And then out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. John goes on to comment in, in his gospel that Jesus is there referring to the ministry of the Holy Spirit. That the Holy Spirit's role in our lives, it builds us up in Christ and then we overflow. Our lives are to be a river of blessing to others. And this river of Jesus is his grace and his peace. And if we're, if we're in Christ, we've experienced this grace and this peace. And we recognize that Jesus came to bring peace between God and a sinful humanity. And that ministry has been, expended, has been extended to us. So, to a watching world, to a watching world, the world, if, if we bear the name of Christ, they'll watch at times. Do we live as though Psalm 46 is really true? That God really is our refuge, our strength. He's our ever-present help. He is with us. He is our fortress. Do we bear that to the world? Or are we too often just an anxious presence, revealing that maybe we aren't secure and maybe we don't have um, someone that we really trust, right? So how do we bear this truth to the world? And do we desire for the name of Christ to be exalted among the nations and exalted in the earth? We are called to courageously bear witness to Christ. Yes, with our lives, but also proclaiming the message of Christ with our lips. And this is very challenging at times. So recently I was at a, uh, one of my kids' baseball games. I was... Uh, doing what a lot of dads do, living vicariously through your kids, standing right behind home plate, watching the game, and um, behind the backstop, and a foul ball is hit from the batter up over the backstop. And, you know, you do what you do, and you watch, and then you glance back. And when I glance back, I notice behind me is a group of about five little girls, probably roughly ages three to five, just sitting in a little group, just playing, giggling, having fun, what they don't know is a foul ball is headed right at their head. And so I look around and I see no other parents. And so I just quickly start running back towards them. And right as the foul ball is about to literally hit a girl right in the head, I'm able to catch it. But because of my momentum, I have to kind of jump over the girls and almost like plow them over. And so, of course, our fans in the stands who I know, they think that's hilarious. And so they stand up and they're cheering and, and I'm actually feeling pretty good about myself. You know, I'm, I have the ball and I'm walking back with a little swag back to the bleachers. And I happen to look back and I see the little girls who had no idea what just took place, except that I about killed them. And, they, and this little girl looks at her friend and she points at me and she goes, that man tried to hurt us. And I'm like, I didn't say this, but little girl, did you know you had a fiery ball of destruction descending upon your head? Like, you should thank me. I just saved your life. But she did not have, a, she did not have eyes to see. 
Okay. You got me on that. She didn't have eyes to see. In Jesus' day, there were those who had eyes to see that what he was bringing about was hope. He was the hope of the scriptures. He was the Prince of Peace. Okay, but there were others who only saw Jesus as harm. And they crucified him. And as followers of Christ, we are called to be courageous and bold for him. And what we bear to the world is a message of hope. And some will receive it as hope. It is the only hope that we have to offer. But others will hear it as a message of harm. It's a harm to the kind of lifestyle that they want to live. And the way that we conduct our lives and the words that we say about Jesus will come across as harmful. And we are still called, no matter what the response is, to bear the gospel to the world. With our lips, with our lives, nations will rage. The church will be persecuted. You and I will feel it very personally at times. And to stand firm for Christ and for the authority of Scripture is typically not easy, nor is it comfortable. But the Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress, right? One more piece of that story. Um, thankful to Dan Rudman for this, because after service he said, man, when you said that story, you should add this, and so I'm adding this. We are like those little girls at times. What the Lord has done is rescued us, but at times all we see from our vantage point is him trampling us. Right? We don't, we don't always have the vantage point to see what the Lord is doing in our life. And sometimes it feels very difficult. Sometimes it feels very hard. But the Lord is never trampling us. Never the right perspective. The Lord is always working out his plan in a good way for us. So Psalm 46 helps us to visualize God. Creator of the earth, the mountains, the sea, he's in the midst of his people, and he is exalted on a high mountain, and his blessings flow throughout his kingdom. And the citizens of this kingdom are those who wait eagerly for the fullness of this glorious kingdom. And the glory of this heavenly kingdom is nothing less than the adoration, the praise to Emmanuel, God with us. On the day that he died, John Wesley had nearly lost his voice and could be only understood with, very, uh, with great difficulty. But before he died, he mustered up enough strength and he called out, The best of all is, God is with us. And then one more time, raising his arm in triumph, he said again, The best of all, God is with us. And no matter what comes our way, that is true, that the best of all, God is with us. And with that, let's pray. Father in heaven, we give you thanks and praise that you are with us, no matter what. That you are our refuge, you are our strength, you are our very present help in trouble. You are the Lord of hosts, you are the God of of Jacob, who is our fortress. And so we praise you and we acknowledge that that is true. And yet it is so hard for us at times to live in light of this truth. We are so quick to be fearful, so quick to think that we have things that can overpower you in this life. But the reality is 
help us. Help us to acknowledge and help it to seek in deeper that you are with us. That we have nothing to fear. And that uh, you are preparing for a beautiful, glorious city. Thank you for your river of grace and mercy and peace that runs. Thank you for the ministry of Holy Spirit in our lives. And I pray that it would pour out of us. That we would be a blessing to the nations around us. And this morning, uh, Lord, you know the heavy hearts over various realities are going on crisis, whether it's health or uh, various relationships, finances, you know the troubles, you know the struggles. So help us to be assured of the fact that you are our great God. You are with us no matter what. And we give you thanks for that truth. In Jesus' name we pray.